Hello and welcome to Lit, a podcast for combating burnout. I'm your host, Kate Newberg, and this is episode 16, The Line Between Discipline and Self-Harm. I just want to note real quick that we're on episode 16, which means we've been doing this for four months straight. So if you are listening, thank you so much. Um, it's really exciting to have four months of this kind of under my belt at this point. And I think that actually leads into the the big question that I've been wrestling with. I think I've been explicitly wrestling with it for the past week or so. Um, but it's always been, I'm realizing, something kind of under the surface of, of how to live my daily life. And I'm guessing if it's coming up for me, it's probably coming up for a lot of people out there, a lot of you guys out there. So I want to disclaim that I won't necessarily come up with an answer to this question today, but I would like to kind of explore it in depth. And the question is, this this kind of struggle between when is discipline a good thing and when is discipline just simply causing harm to you? And I guess it came up around a couple of smaller, funny, it's funny how it came up because it came up around a couple of smaller things in my life right now. Um, I just recently started CrossFit, which is, I found, for the most part, really fun and really engaging. And I've been going every single day for the past couple of weeks. And recently, I, there was a day recently this week that I I felt, um, I felt kind of like a more acute pain in one of my legs. And I've been playing sports my whole life, and normally um, there's there's all these there's always aches and pains and soreness associated with exercise. Um, I've I played softball when I was younger, and then ultimate frisbee, <laughs> which I know doesn't we took it very seriously. <laughs> I played very serious ultimate frisbee where we had like lots of training and practices and looking back, that's all kind of silly, but it was fun at the time. Um, and I've trained for really, really big races, which, um, and that question kind of will come up later. That idea of training will come up later in this episode, but, um, but you know, I've always found aches and pains associated with it. And most of the time, the vast majority of the time, I push through those aches and pains and soreness, and um, it usually works out. It's usually, in, a lot of times, it's actually something my body really needs. It's like to get the blood flowing again. Sometimes I found that I'll wake up and I'll feel kind of sick, and it feels kind of counterintuitive, but um, a lot of times I'll go for a little run or go to the gym or something, and getting the blood moving actually helps my immune system and I feel better afterwards. But, um, then again, sometimes I do it and I get more sick. So, um, that's where that really big question comes in. And so with CrossFit, I was feeling, um, this kind of, kind of deeper pain in one of my legs. And my instinct is almost always to just push through. Um, and, 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 a lot of times it resolves itself, but there have been a few times in the, in scenarios like this where I've pushed through and it's resulted in a longer term injury. Um, and so 
I made the decision to like not go to, I know this sounds like not that big of a deal, but it's funny how this made this whole question click into place for me. Cause I made this decision to not go one day and, um, and to just to give my body a day off, uh, to give my body a day of rest. And, um, it brought up all these emotions for me, like, uh, feeling like I was lazy, like I was a wimp, like I couldn't handle it. Like, um, I must be weak or, you know, and then there's always, this didn't really come up for me, but now that I'm talking, it could have been something underlying like, oh, other people are going to get ahead of me. And that's, I don't think that was really a, a problem that I was worried about, but in the past, when it came to like practices and things like that, um, with sports, that was always a problem. Like, oh, if I don't go, I'm going to get benched all these things. Right. Um, and then it also came up around this writing project I'm doing. I think I mentioned a few times that I was working on this writing proposal and I had a really great experience with an agent where he pretty much said like this as it is, you know, and I worked, um, I think I mentioned this, I worked like all weekend on this writing proposal. I worked probably uh, nine or 10 hours a day on it to get it ready. And I was in a state of flow and in a state of joy and it was great. But um, when I sent it in, the, the agent said, you know, I, this is, this is a, it's not as it stands a proposal I can take, but I want to leave the door open for, you know, if you edit it and all this. And, um, and it felt a little bit like, like I hit a wall a little bit, like, um, where suddenly maybe it was that spending all that time writing, which again, I want to say that while I was doing it, I was in the state of pure joy, but I had put myself under the gun a little bit. And what I'm getting at was, um, is that for the past couple of weeks, I've been working on other writing projects and um, have been feeling less motivated and feeling less inspired. And usually this isn't a problem with my writing, but lately it has been. And so the question I came up with was, well, you know, I'm feeling less inspired, but I'm setting these deadlines for myself. Do I push through and just write and kind of resign myself to the slog um, and kind of feel in some ways like the writing isn't, is, you know, in a lot of ways, like when you're expressing yourself through the totality of your being, like your writing reflects in a way that you're in a bit of a slog, but then that's what editing is for, right? That's what, um, drafting is for. So do I just keep pushing through? And just about every writer I've ever read about or talked to says that there's always a period of slog and um, you have to stay disciplined and you have to make sure that you don't give in to that, um, that you keep going. And this is, this is all very related to the, this culture we have of grit. And I'm sure you've all heard that phrase. I, it, um, Angela Duckworth popularized it. Uh, she referred to it as the passion and perseverance. I think something like the passion and perseverance for long-term goals. And so that's grit. And our culture really looks at the, we look at the idea of giving up. We even call it giving up and we see it as a moral failing. And so 
it's like this pejorative thing. Giving up is this pejorative thing. And oftentimes I've seen this mindset or this culture manipulate us or manipulate people into putting up with really untenable situations. And so one clear example that comes up is we use the term grit a lot when we're talking to and about our students in schools and our kids. And we say like, you know, you, you can't give up. You got to achieve your dreams. Um, Grit, but grit in a lot of ways refers to the day to day compliance of doing everything that the school tells you to do. And we've manipulated this term to kind of create this situation where people are um, are in a space that might not be good for them, and if they and if they give up suddenly, they're not showing grit. All right, suddenly they're all these other things like they must be lazy or they must not have what it takes or all these other things. Um, and so there's this. And, and, and in a lot of ways, if you extrapolate that, there, there becomes this moral stigma that we have that's associated with stillness and retreat. So if someone kind of retreats, and I'll be honest that in the past uh, few weeks, maybe in the past few months, I've been in a state of retreat in a lot of ways, and I've kind of gone inward and, um, and kind of removed myself from the daily stimulus of of friendships and going out and all these things um, because I've, I've, and I've been trying to listen to that, but it does bring up a stigma. Like if people reach out and I say, and I'm not available or I don't want to be available, I get kind of a, like a lot of people can take it personally or they consider me antisocial. And so there's, there's that like antisocial, like that's, that's a pejorative term. And that's something we associate with kind of retreat And then this idea of stillness, like sitting in stillness or sitting in contemplation, um, we can associate that in our culture with being indolent or lazy or unproductive, probably the worst thing you can be called in a capitalist society, right? Unproductive. Um, And so I I encountered this a lot. It's funny. I encountered this a lot as an English major. We, We would actually joke about it. And I didn't realize at the time, being 20 or whatever, um, that we'd put our finger on, on a much, much deeper truth. And that was that we joke about like people saying, oh, what are you doing as an English major? And you just say, oh, I'm just, I'm thinking deep thoughts. <laughs> like it just, and it just looks from the outside, like you're not doing anything. Um, but maybe what you're doing is incubating, what you're doing, quote unquote, is incubating a larger idea or a a larger philosophy that's going to come out in some way. Um, but it requires a lot of stillness and a lot of contemplation. And, um, and that's something that in our culture, we just see as just, if you're not producing something, you must, there must be something wrong with you. You must be lazy. You must be indolent. And, um, again, coming back to this idea of, uh, of the, of this stigma and coming back to the idea of school, I think I've mentioned this before, but we have this kind of pejorative view of high school dropouts. We say we have this moral stigma like, oh, they must be, um, they must not care. They must be deadbeats. They must be, you know, we have all these horrible things we associate to really to children. 
Um, and we say, oh, they didn't have what it takes. They must not have had enough grit to graduate. Um, but in some districts, the dropout rate is up to 60% of students. That's astronomical. And it's, and for some reason, we blame all of these students, but really with a, with a statistic that high, we got to think, oh, maybe there's something wrong with this system we're putting them in. You know, but it's a lot easier just to make it a personal problem and to say, oh, there's something wrong with these kids. They don't have enough grit than to say maybe this system really isn't meeting their needs. Um, and so and that you can see on a larger societal level. Um, if people are mired in poverty or um, or they're homeless or they have these 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 issues clearly like life and death if issues they have you know healthcare all these things and we can say we can create all these pejorative um, terms around it and say oh they must be they're poor because they're lazy that that's a you know an American value right there um, or they're sick because there's something wrong with them or all these things it's just um, you know something morally wrong with them or I don't we just we have this tendency in our culture, all of this is to say that we have this tendency in our culture to blame the victim. There's a lot of victim blaming and there's a lot of big, um, big ideas that we've created that can be manipulated, um, to make, to make people into villains or to feel terrible about, uh, the way that they're living their life. Um, and so leveling this idea of grit at someone or resilience. That's another one. Oh, you must not be resilient enough if you can't handle this. Um, it's a way to, to kind of cajole people to put up with what I was saying, untenable situations in some ways. And so um, all of this came to, you know, came into my head and I, I want to talk about the flip side of that too. I want to talk about the fact that there can be meaning in endurance. In fact, there's this, uh, I think I've mentioned it before, but David Schnarch is this kind of relationship therapist. He's written a couple of books. And again, I feel like a lot of the patterns that come up in relationships are similar to the patterns that come up at work, are similar to the patterns that come up in any aspect of your life that you care about, right? And, and he has this thing he calls meaningful endurance in a relationship. And he talks about how it, it's a really important part of the relationship. If you are in a marriage or a long-term partnership, you're always going to come up against difficult or challenging situations. And so, um, you know, one of the, he has this kind of formula with four things. And one of the four things, four ingredients that's necessary to weathering that and to growing from that is this thing he calls meaningful endurance. And this is this really resonates with me. I've always been kind of a, a push through kind of person, so to speak. And oftentimes, the refusal to give to quote unquote, give in to what I see as a weakness has led me to new thresholds. Um, and that and it's and it's led me to new areas of growth. And oftentimes that, um, that desire, that instinct to push through difficulty, to push through challenge, to keep going. It's that, that instinct to endure meaningfully. It has led me places that I wouldn't otherwise have gone. Um, 
And it's also led me down some really challenging paths. Uh, I mean, a really clear example is just the, when I was, when I was teaching and I, and I ended up burning out after, after a few years and I stuck with it for an next, I burned out. I was definitely burned out by the end of my second year. Um, and I just stuck with it for another two years. And by the end, I felt like I had nothing left to give, right. That just kind of dogged endurance on one hand was not good for my health. It wasn't good for me in the moment, but it also led me to where I am now in a lot of ways. Um, so so where, and this is where the conundrum comes in, right? Like when do you decide to endure? When do you decide to show discipline? And when is that causing you the kind of harm that you need to let go, where you need to let go and move on? Um, and there's one way I've been thinking about this, which is that the difference between self-harm and discipline is that self-harm is... The, the discipline for something affords you glimpses of wonder or at least enough glimpses of wonder to keep you going. Right. And, and I think a lot about where is it, where is the motivation coming from for one of these two things, self-harm and discipline, where's the motivation coming from and self-harm things that cause you harm are the, the motivation for doing it is almost always, or it will, I'm going to say this as an absolute is always coming from your ego. So here's a good example of that. That is also pretty poignant. Um, I had a, in college, I had an eating disorder and eating disorders. Well, they're really prevalent. Um, and, they require a lot of quote unquote discipline, right? You're, you're, you're going against the natural impulses of your body. And, um, and that was entirely ego based, right? Like I felt like I needed to look a certain way in order that I would be. And then I had all these things built up in my head that it was attached to that obviously were not true, but like essentially came down to the idea that I needed to look a certain way to be a worthwhile person. <laughs> and that's entirely the ego talking, right? And that's entirely an obvious example of self-harm, right? So you've got this, this, um, this practice of discipline that is acting on you in a way that is extremely harmful, right? Versus, um, here's an example of discipline that was, um, that was actually really beneficial, which was the idea of, um, coming up with my, so I, my dissertation. Uh, so when you're a graduate student, you do your research and you, you move toward, um, becoming a doctor, you, you do this whole research study and then you, you go through all this process of analyzing the data, going through a proposal, writing everything up and defending. And it's a pretty rigorous process. Um, and that requires a lot of discipline because there are some times when you just feel that you're in the slog of it. Um, and it's some, and, but you know, you have a larger goal and you just need to keep going. Even when you're feeling like you're in the slog, you need to keep going. And, um, and it's trending towards something larger. So in a lot of ways, I, I see discipline as trending towards something larger and more meaningful, right? So stuff that, Self-harm is always done in the, um, 
is always done in service to the ego versus instances of discipline or often meaningful endurance. These are going to be, um, these are going to be trending towards t- trending upwards. I like to say towards something larger, towards something meaningful. If you're training for a race and you want to complete the race, sometimes you're going to have to get up and run at five in the morning when it's cold out and you don't want to, but you know that it's, you're moving towards something bigger. And then sometimes in that run, again, because you're, you're moving towards something bigger and something more meaningful, you're going to catch glimpses of wonder in that. Maybe you see the sun come up and you say, man, I'm so glad I woke up for this, even though at the time I really didn't want to, right? Um, maybe you're creating something and you you see the larger arc of what you're doing. And even in the days of slog, you um, you know that you're, you're creating something larger, that you're moving towards something bigger. Meditating. I'll say that I have a, um, a meditation practice that I've been doing now for um, a year and a half, almost two years. And, and um, I don't meditate every single day, although I don't miss very many. But the fact that overall I meditate every single day, I've seen much larger um, gains. Like if I look back to two years ago, I can see that that the practice that I put in every day has yielded some really significant gains in my life. And they came very slowly. And so I don't, sometimes I didn't know why I was doing it. I just knew. And sometimes I absolutely did not want to do it. Uh, but I just knew that there was something bigger at play here and that I could, I would just sit down and I would do it. And so um, one of the things to think about, I think in this, in this contemplation of discipline versus self-harm is the idea of rhythms. And I actually got this idea from, from Rob Bell in one of his podcasts recently that helped me kind of frame this idea of, of uh, discipline versus self-harm. And one of the things that could, that could cause you to do harm to yourself is, is uh, being out of touch with your own rhythms. It could be that there's nothing wrong with the project. It could be there's nothing wrong with the endeavor. There was nothing going all the way back to the beginning. There was nothing wrong with CrossFit. There's nothing wrong with the writing project. But there's something I was pushing too hard in some cases. And I was pushing myself out of sync with my own rhythms. And so if we think about rhythms, daily, monthly, yearly rhythms, and then also the rhythm that you're creating over your whole lifetime, um, you know, these are all different kind of wheels spinning within you. And we don't always know what our rhythms are because we just push through everything. And so one of the things that that I'm trying to become more aware of that I think if that I think can help with this discipline versus self-harm is listening to the listening to things as they come up not judging them and then trying to see overall like are these fitting into a larger rhythm is this something like i know that um elizabeth gilbert in big magic talked about how there was there always came a certain part in the creation process where she would say where she would begin to lose a little bit of steam and it, and it happened every time like clockwork. And she could just say, oh, this is that time in this cycle, in this rhythm that this happens. I can accept it. Maybe I, um, you know, maybe I allow it some space to breathe or move in and, and move through it. Right. And you just know as it's happening that it's part of the rhythm. And I think I think that recognizing your own rhythms is a and, um, and noticing them is a really powerful way to 
draw that distinction between discipline and self-harm. And if, for instance, you're, you know, you have this, if you're creating something and you know, you have a rhythm around it, then you can work around that and you can put it in the larger context. Another thing is, um, what's interesting is that it, it would never occur to me to give up these writing projects and it would never occur to me to give up CrossFit entirely. Right. It's like, I'm looking at these rhythms within they're kind of within a smaller microcosm. And it's like maybe today or even this week, I don't feel inspired to do this thing. But it doesn't mean that overall or meditation, maybe today, once in a while, I'll miss a day. It doesn't mean that I'm I'm done meditating forever. It just means that today it didn't work out for me. And that's okay. It doesn't, and I think we like to extrapolate that to mean, oh, this means that I'm never doing it again, or I'm gonna we have these big like snowball effects in our heads, but really it's just like, um, well, maybe this is just part of the rhythm today. And maybe I just give into it today, you know, and maybe, maybe today's not the one, the time to push through. Um, and, and keeping, keeping your eye on the larger idea and saying that that's that larger idea and the movement toward that larger idea is going to, um, is going to necessitate a lot of mini rhythms within it that you need to listen to. And, but then here's the big question, right, of when, when do you let go of something? When do you decide that something just isn't worth it? And, and when you let go on a small scale or when you let go on a big scale? And um, there's, a couple, there's a couple things I want to say about the idea of letting go in the last few minutes. Um, one is when you're letting go of something, can you put it in a larger context? Is there a larger context beyond that? So thinking, coming back to the idea of relationships, right? If you're in a relationship and you've decided it's time to let go of this particular relationship for whatever reason or number of reasons, um, it might be that it's not that you're giving up on the idea of relationships entirely, right? It's it's that you, you are declaring that this specific one isn't the one that you want right now. And how do you know that, you know, and that that's the big question, right? And I think a lot of it does come from this idea of meaningful endurance. Uh, I think that when it, when you let go of something that's important to you, a project, a way of being a person, um, I think a lot of people aren't willing to do that until they have meaningfully endured until they have, until they can allow themselves to know that they have tried every other option. Um, that they've, that they've gone far enough down that path to say, okay, yes, I can, I can let this go with peace, you know? And I think, um, that doesn't and then the idea of letting go of something, it often opens up new possibilities. But the caveat, the other side of that is if you let go of something too soon, then those lessons that you still had to learn are going to follow you into whatever it is that you do next. So if you let go of something before you've gotten the lessons from them, that's going to come back in some other form. 
So it's really this balancing act and it's this dance. And there's no, I wish I could say, again, start going back to the beginning, I said I wouldn't necessarily have an answer. This is really just me kind of exploring this idea. Um, but it's really this balancing act between did I go into it far enough versus, okay, it's, um, it's time. It's time. I've gone into it far enough. Or maybe you go into it farther and then you find a new sense of rejuvenation around it. Um, but I do think that that idea of meaningful endurance is really important to the idea of letting go. Uh, because a lot of us need to know that we've gotten what we need out of a certain situation or a project or a relationship or a work situation or whatever it is. Um, and then when we let go, it doesn't throw us back into that situation all over again in another way. It opens up new possibilities. So there's, um, there's a lot to think about here. Well, wow, that we are already out of time for today. So that this has been an exploration of this line between discipline and self-harm, um, looking at you know the larger culture that we have around grit and how that can manipulate us into bad situations, but then also the flip side of that, the meaning that we can find in endurance. So finding that balance and finding that balance with, within our own internal rhythms. Those are kind of the big ideas of this podcast. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. This has been another episode of Lit, a podcast for combating burnout. If you have any questions, you can email me, kate at deeppractices.com or go to my website, deeppractices.com and get in touch. Thanks so much. And I'll see you all again next week.